the Food Startups Podcast. You just need the packaging to shout off the shelf. It's a different world when you actually think about adding value. But to be able to play now is definitely going to require some new thinking out there. Hang out with us and learn how to grow your food business. Okay, listeners, today the much-awaited design and packaging and branding, consumer behavior, all those types of things that we've gotten quite a few questions for over the last couple months, and I finally got a pair of experts to come on and help us answer them. So they are partners, and they met in the design program at University of North Texas. Upon graduation, they took separate paths as art directors in different global ad agencies, working on global and national accounts. And two years ago, they moved to New York and they got back together and formed a studio called Hungry Studio. And their practice combines the high-level strategic thinking and broad capabilities of large advertising agencies with the quality and attention to detail that only a boutique design studio can offer. My two cents on that, because I've worked you know, in, in digital marketing, I've worked on agencies. Basically, they're two really skilled people, but you don't have to pay the overhead of like a large agency where you have like the, you know, the account manager, like the account coordinator, all that type of stuff. They can handle a lot of stuff and they have agile people that can help them out if needed. So yeah, I'm really happy to have Jordan Hell and Fed Pacheco onto the show. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, thanks for coming on. Monday morning, uh, starting off with an interview. It's a good way to start the week. Absolutely. And well said, by the way. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's, so it's funny. This is episode 99. I'm about to go to 100. And I'm really excited for this. I always get nervous before every interview. You would think after a while that uh, it would go away, but it's, it's still really exciting to me. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to have you guys on the show. Sorry, we couldn't be the number 100. Yeah, I know, I know. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all history. But yeah, I mean, 99 is, is cool as well. <laughs> I want to, okay, so basically I read your, your bio, but explaining to the audience, I mean, right now, what, uh, what type of projects are you, are you guys working on? Well, we're currently working on, uh, we do a lot of uh, content strategy and social media uh, content creation for one of our clients, Community Coffee, out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. There are actually within the top 10 uh, of coffee companies in the United States. But the nice thing about them is that they're still uh, small, family-owned, and family-operated. So they really take a lot of attention to detail and their roasting and the sourcing of the coffee. So we do a lot of the social media and digital strategy for them. At the same time, we're also in talking right now some branding work and design work for a chocolate company under Raleigh, North Carolina, and just kind of picking through, talking to a lot of people and trying to touch as many points in the food industry as we can. Awesome. So you get, you have the big coffee company and uh, out of the South, what type of stuff are you doing for them? So we do everything uh, from maybe a graphic design execution that they need for an event or for advertising in general to recipe videos that they can use online to promote a new product that they have coming out, a new flavor that they have coming out. You know, we, we have a very close relationship with them. And so it's, it's a bit of anything that we think that they might need, we kind of do for them. That's awesome. And how did you, how did you develop a close relationship with Community Coffee? 
Well, they used to be actually one of my clients while I was working at a larger agency uh, a few years ago. I worked on a lot of the brand work for them. And then it so happened that a few years later after moving to New York, they were needing some extra help on one side. Not that that agency wasn't doing their job. They're still a great agency, still friends of mine, still do a lot of great work, uh, more in the TV environment. But they still needed some help executing the brand and make sure the brand kind of stayed in tone and with the proper execution. So they contacted me because they remember me from working on, on their brand. And it kind of has developed over the last year and a half or so. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I started out just doing a little bit of freelance work for them, um, helping them out. And then the work just started coming in more and more and more to the point that uh, I started helping. And then it, it reached a level that we both uh, had to go in full time on it. And that really helped us start our studio uh, in terms of, you know, getting started, getting the space, the equipment that we needed, and then just getting the ball rolling and getting new clients. That's awesome. And I mentioned this before we started as a freelancer or, you know, studio, whatever you want to call it. It's great to have that that first solid, great client, not just because they pay the bills, but they also kind of, you know, are fun to work with and you can do good work for them. So that's awesome that you have that. And it's a huge confidence builder when you start an agency. Uh, we, we strongly also believe that you don't necessarily open an agency or open a studio with 10, 20 clients. That probably becomes a really messy situation where you're not allowed to grow organically and pay attention to a client as much as you can. So we've had enough time to kind of build that relationship with them, grow that relationship with them, grow the work that we do for them. Definitely uh, the type of work has improved a lot from the first stuff that we started doing to the kind of work that we're doing right now. But it also allows us to just kind of take one client at a time and then grow organically. We went from being a one-man show with them to now we, different times we go from four to eight people depending on what projects we're working on. But it allows us to do that organically without necessarily just in chaos trying to finish something for several clients at once. I understand it. So it's not just like all of a sudden becoming like a, a hectic, like the, you know, the, the traditional ad agency from the get-go, but like really growing and kind of finding your style and also learning as you go because I'm sure you're better now than you were in 2014. Of course, of course. Like we, we had the, you know, the art direction, the design skills, but then when it comes to the other parts of owning a business, it's definitely a learning curve. As I'm sure a lot of your listeners have learned or are learning right now. Exactly. And so Jordan, I, I guess, you know, we talked about this as well. So some of the questions coming in to the show. So let's just say someone that either they, they love food and they have a, a great idea or they have a, a great business idea, but they don't know much about design and branding. So some of their questions coming up are going to be, you know, you know, why do I need design? What are the keys to design? How much does it cost? You know, how, you know, how does it get done? Where do I find packaging companies? You know, all those types of questions have come in. So I want to try to answer them and kind of take the listeners through the process. So I guess starting out, and, uh, and Jordan, you mentioned this, packaging design as it is related to branding. So what comes first? What's more important? Like, uh, you know, design 101, branding 101, packaging 101, kind of break that down for us. So before you even get to design and packaging, you have to make sure that the idea that you have for your product is even feasible. Because before you invest a lot of time, a lot of money, um, 
a lot of energy and also your heart into something, you have to make sure that it will be successful or that it has a good chance of being successful. There's no right or wrong way of doing this. I mean, of course, it's part intuition, but you have to do your research. Um, You need to do your market research, figure out what's out there, figure out if your product is unique, if you even have a unique selling point or a USP, um, and just really, really consider it before you get into it. Okay, so a question for you. Let's just say... I came to you guys and I said, hey guys, I have this idea for this this like hot sauce brand. What would like, I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud here. Would you ask me or would you ask me to like send some competitors or some brands that I like? How would you recommend researching the market? No, I think, I mean, I think ideally we would like to help uh, with the research part and the innovation part as well. I mean, not to say that I don't, I don't think somebody's ready to come to a design and branding studio just with like a, I want a hot dog company. But once that idea is a little bit more developed and you've done kind of your part of the business, which is getting your idea concrete and getting your recipe down and getting your product down or whatever you're going to be doing, a concept down, then that's when we come in and we help your research. I mean, as you know, I mean, the reason you have the show, the food world has just exploded in the last few years, right? For that reason, a package is no longer the only thing that will help you have a successful company. You need a strong brand behind it. You're no longer just battling for shelf space and for somebody to grab your product over another one. You're battling for a space in people's lives and a space in people's table. So you definitely have a lot of competition out there. Brand definitely comes first. And that is to your advantage. Nowadays, you can start building a brand before you even set a foot in, in a retail space. And Federico, sorry, I just want you to clarify this a little bit more for the audience. What is a strong brand? Well, a strong brand is a strong uh, story that you're trying to tell. It's developing a tone and developing a way of communicating to your consumers what you stand for and what type of product you want to have. And can you give me an example, whether with community coffee or it doesn't even have to be a client of yours, but of a, of a strong brand and a, and a strong story that uh, you've witnessed or been a part of? Well, I mean, so, I mean, community coffee, th- there you go. That's a, that's a great example. Uh, not just because they're our clients, but they are a family brand and that is what they choose to communicate. If you go to their site, if you check out any of the video work or anything like that, I mean, it tells you the story of the family and what they stand for. But also, any successful food brand is any brand that you may not even have to think about twice about how much you love. It's the brand that you tell your friend, oh, my God, have you tried this? Especially when it comes to food. We're very emotionally attached to food. So any product that you bring to your friends at work or that you tell your, you call your mom just to tell how good it is and, hey, mom, you should buy this next time you're at the grocery store, that's already a great brand. And there's a lot more happening than just the flavor that it's coming through. Uh, and a lot of it you may not even notice. That's a great point. I mean, not just with food. We're emotional creatures at the end of the day. Even if you talk about Elon Musk or people that are quote-unquote hyper-rational, all of our decisions are, are usually emotionally based. Okay, so I, I like the community coffee story. I guess in, in West Village, it's like this drugstore that sells like all imported British products, and there's this there's tea brand called Builder's Tea. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it, but the box looks like a construction box. So it's basically like, you know, we're not like a chamomile, like light tea. This is like a strong black tea for just like the everyday blue collar worker. I remember buying that and 
and I, I still have the box here down in Columbia. I brought it down because it's just it's just a great example of um, I guess storytelling and identity, like I, a strong identity for the for the brand. So so community coffee, their identity what it's their family, they're southern. They I think they've been around for for a long time, right? Like this like a hundred years, yeah, almost a hundred years, yeah, a hundred years, yeah, a hundred year family family business. The majority, the vast majority of people listening to this show. They don't have that, you know, since 1919 or however long they've been in business. Okay, so developing developing that story, what are some of the questions you can ask? Or, or I guess, you know, let's just say I came to you guys with a, you know, food company I had and I was trying to develop the brand more. You know, what questions would you guys ask me to help me kind of figure out what my story is? So we would sit down with you for quite a while because of the way we work, we really prefer to work with people on a personal level. And we also feel like if we don't know, you know, the founder or the product um, as well as we know ourselves, then we're not going to do a good job branding it. So really, we would just sit down, talk with you for a long time about what you do, uh, especially why you make it, uh, what your motivations are to make it. And also a lot about your personality. Um, those are kind of the things that we would talk about and kind of pull from in order to figure out what is unique about your product. We always have to find something unique about your product that no one else on the shelf has in order to create your branding. Because you might have an amazing product. It might taste amazing. It might be the best thing on the market. But unless you have an accurate brand to communicate that to consumers, no one will know. And I can give you a, a real-life scenario about this. We had uh, somebody come to us last year. He was a, a French immigrant um, from Paris, and him and his wife, and along with the rest of his family, actually, are opening a small crepe shop in the Upper West Side in New York City. We actually live in the Upper West Side, so we were visiting the crepe shop like normal customers, and we started talking to him. And it definitely felt a little, um, I want to say a little, maybe a little sterile when we first got there. Some local, very talented design shop had already done some identity work for him, but it definitely felt a bit generic. His name, uh, the, it was a crepe shop, the, the name of the restaurant is Crepes and Delices, so it's very much just crepes and some other sweets and stuff like that from friends. When we started talking to him, he was definitely in this idea of, Happiness is just one crepe away. That's kind of a generic tagline that he had going on. And that's kind of what he was basing himself. $5 Nutella crepes. Kids come in, yada, yada, yada. We start talking to him. We find out he was a finance guy. He was in Wall Street. He had a very high-paying, good job in Wall Street. And so uh, does his wife. And then one day he was just like, listen, I this is not for me. Went back to Paris. Uh, learn how to make crepes, learn everything that there was to learn about it, came back and opened a store. And you know what? That's, that's a really, really cool story. But he wasn't necessarily seeing that. But it took us meeting him, talking to him, going out to dinner with him and his wife, meeting the kids. And it just, it just kind of came all wrapped up together. One day we were just like, this generic tagline that he already has means a lot more than just the crepes bring you happiness. It's kind of like the Coca-Cola, right? Like Coca-Cola, all their ads are just, the emotion is like happiness and, and love, right? And so you exactly. kind of just took exactly. that, like, 
like a knee jerk reaction, just like, all right, this is what it is. Happiness for crepes. Let's sell some crepes. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's a very generic line. Right. But we then found out, listen, that happiness was brought to him by crepes. Like happiness was for him, not just for the customers. So we developed this whole brand for him where we really didn't have to make anything up, but his happiness was found through a crepe and through making crepes for people. So it was all this story about him leaving Wall Street, not being kind of missing something. All of that kind of developed a brand. So the bottom line being, without really sitting and talking to him, getting to know him, what his motivations were, we would have never uncovered the truth of his brand. Now, what were some of the main physical changes in terms of like packaging, like the storefront, like based on all that information you you gleaned from uh, the French couple, what were some of the major changes like takeaway action items that you, you, you know, concrete changes you made at the store or on the website or in the logo, et cetera, et cetera? Well, so when we went in, the website and everything was had a very generic description on it. Uh, organic ingredients, uh, authentic French recipes. We just kind of changed the tonality of all that stuff. We did a mural in some of his locations because he was opening a second location when we started working with him. Uh, that was hand illustrated it had more of a human touch to it and it had a story more importantly it had a story that people could share with it had an experience within the restaurant people could take selfies in this mirror that said have you found your happiness today um so it was just really the changes were about bringing that story to life uh especially in the in-store environment so that consumers could go in and see it's more than just a plain crepe shop I like that. Okay, so that's cool. So, because you know, it's like really popular, like the, I think they're called vinyl, you know, like the, the transparent stickers you put on the wall and they usually have like positive messages. So the, it'd be cool if you have a photo of it, but the, so there's like a mirror when you go in and it has that kind of like, like a sticker or is it like handwritten? Uh, what does it look like? It's actually a, a hand painted mural. Uh, so there's a whole mural and right next to the mirror. What- is the mirror inside of the mural or? It's incorporated. It's incorporated into the art. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, so with that, you know, we gave him a lot of advice within the store, lowering the lights. We installed some shelves and made it feel more like a kitchen. So it's definitely a bit more uh, cozy. And it was great because we finished the work around summer last year and then into the cold season in New York, seeing the little store just packed in the winter. That was our goal, getting people in there to feel like they can sit, turn on the Wi-Fi, read a book. Uh, He wasn't getting that before, and that's something that we did see a change in. We also redesigned the uh, menu as well to give it a more smaller feel in a way of this isn't a corporate chain. This is, you know, uh, one, now two restaurants in Manhattan. So we just wanted it to feel like someone had taken the time to craft the menu and craft the interior design of the store. Well, still delivering in some of the business necessities that he has because eventually he did his particular situation he eventually would want somebody to walk in and maybe want a franchise so we definitely had to keep that in mind as well we you can go too handmade and too custom made on everything because he did want the opportunity of somebody walking in and saying i can open one of these in philadelphia or whatever I love that. So that's, that's a great story. And I think, okay, you know, when you're walking around, like any of us, you're either looking for a cafe or a restaurant and you look inside and for whatever reason, emotionally, you know, visceral, you feel like maybe you can't put it in words. You're like, "Uh, I'm just not going to go in there. 
yeah, I'm going to go to the next place. But uh, I think that's really cool how you made the the cozy feel knowing that, you know, winter's coming around and when it's cold outside and there's not that much sunlight, right? You need to have that warm atmosphere when you go into a cafe, like the French uh, cafe feel. So that's uh, that's awesome. That's a, that's a great example right there. So you guys do a lot of hands-on stuff, as we mentioned before. Let's uh, let's go back to to packaging. I, and I guess, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but sure. the example that you gave with the French crepe store, you have to communicate that. Like it's kind of like a microcosm. So for packaging, that same store, you have to tell that on a much, you know, you don't have a huge, you know, thousand square foot space or whatever it is. You have to kind of tell that just on a, a small package. Can you give me an example of telling that story on um on a, uh, a piece of packaging for a company? Well, you really have to make sure that above all, um, instead of trying to fit, you know, so much information into one little space, depending on the size of your packaging, just to make whatever you're saying very clear and obvious so that the consumer knows what they're buying and knows what to expect because the worst thing you can do is obscure the meaning uh, of your product or obscure what it actually is and people shy away from buying it because they're not quite sure. Like when people try to, so I've, I've made that mistake before. So I, I launched a brand of like freeze dried exotic fruits. And I guess our, our main problem was we, we tried to be a little bit too clever. And like you said, going along with this, people often intuitively know what it is as soon as they see it, I think. You know, within like a second or less, they should know that this is like freeze dried fruit or it's coffee, right? Because if you use like two clever words and like, you know, this like artisanal cacao pods or things like that, where people are like, oh, it's a chocolate bar. If they don't understand that, then um, they're probably just going to glaze right by it. Yeah, well, there's actually a ton of government regulations against stuff like that. There's there's certain wording that you can't use and there's certain categories that your food product may fall in that you may not be able to, that you have to describe the product in certain specific ways. So even if you come up with this really cool thing, the FDA might shut it down or your state may shut it down. New York itself has a lot of rules when it comes to that. But you just said something that is uh, very important here. Everybody, even if you don't come from a design background, you kind of have some design sense, even if it's in the back of your head and you don't call it a design sense. So you definitely know if something looks expensive, if something looks cheap, or if something looks processed, you kind of know, your, your brain knows already. So that's very important. You can definitely tell when something feels amateur, and maybe something's at a bake sale with a, a little plastic bag and a cardboard label attached to it, stapled to it, or something like that. So that's always really, really important to think about whenever you're working with a designer or you're taking a crack at it yourself. Exactly. And in terms of whether you have an amateur or you're hiring a pro, I guess, obviously it's expensive and packaging and branding, you know, how much does it cost? Let's just say you want to get a minimum viable product and get into a couple stores. How much can you expect to spend on, you know, paying a designer to get your first round of packaging done? So the first thing that we would say is that it really depends on what avenue you go. I mean, you can go online and get a packaging design from someone you don't know for $100. Uh, or you can go to, you know, one of the most storied design and branding agencies in New York City and spend upwards of $100,000, right? So it's this huge range. What's really important is doing what you need for your product. 
if you think about it, if there's a lot of competition in your category, then you're going to need to invest more money. An example that I can use is for restaurants. Typically, when you're starting a restaurant, you want to devote 5 to 7% of your total investment into branding and design uh, to make sure that your restaurant gets started. In a way, you know, it's the same with packaged goods, you know, more or less on the percentage. But you really, really, really have to establish a good brand in order to even get consumers to look at your brand in the supermarket, especially if you don't have a lot of money and you don't have a lot to invest in advertising. The best thing to do is to invest in your packaging because 100% of consumers that buy your products are going to see your packaging. Um, and in addition to that, 75% of purchase decisions are made at the shelf. So even if a consumer goes into a store saying, you know what, I have a coupon for X product, you know, a dollar off of this, if they walk in and they look at that shelf and they see a product that appeals to them slightly more than the product they intended on buying, they're going to buy it. Yeah, and to uh, kind of touch on that point that I was trying to make earlier, if somebody stands in front of a shelf and they look at a packaging that, you know, it looks very serious, the packaging looks beautiful, or something that just kind of looks amateur and just it fits the rules and it got the job done and it's on the shelf selling at a store, you're probably going to go for the one that looks a bit more serious, not because it's more expensive or whatever it may be, but because you people want to make sure that you're serious about it, especially when it comes to food. So not everybody leans for the handmade packaging that didn't take a whole lot of work. It, it needs to look professional and it needs to look like it belongs in that shelf. I like that. And it's a really good answer. I, I like the 5 to 7% kind of, uh, you know, we'll call it a heuristic to, to think about when starting a company. Another thing that I've noticed, so in the Honest Tea book, I learned about, you know, Honest Tea before they sold to Coca-Cola. What they did is they gave their designer a percentage of the company which I think can be an interesting play. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It depends on your experience level, the amount of money you exactly. have, right? But it's really, it's cool too, because that way the designer is literally a part of their company. You can kind of grow with them and, um, and they, they're not just a, uh, we'll say a contractor. They're, you know, they're a part of the team. That, that also is another option in terms of design studios. Uh, you really have to, of course, know the studio or the designer that you're working with and have a very high level of trust. Um, but that goes on both sides. The designer or the design studio has to really believe in your product and believe in you because then they're not getting any kind of return on the investment, especially if besides packaging, you have to start from scratch and design you know, the brand, decide on the naming, the, the messaging, do the research, um, all the extensions of your logo, um, deciding how that's going to look in the digital space. All of that stuff takes a lot of time. Uh, so making sure that you will get that return is very important for the designer or the studio. And one advice I can give uh, your listeners and, and yourself and anybody that wants to uh, start a food company and is thinking about going through all of this, times have changed a lot. And we've seen with design, I mean, back in the day, you could just slap a label on something, make it beautiful, put it on the shelf and cross your fingers and it would sell. Nowadays, you have so many touch points and so many interactions where people look at your brand or communicate with your brand that when it comes to you, actually, let's say you have the money and let's say you're going to go and design packaging. You have to pick somebody that is going to give you what you need. If you have the 
100000 $200,000 to put towards the packaging design, then great. Go for the most amazing agency out there that will do the research, that will do the market tests, that will do everything that you need to do. But there's a lot of people out there that can give you a lot more for your money. We, for example, we do, if we do packaging design, that's, that's not where we stop. We actually will do the photography. We'll do some product shots that you can use on social media. We'll do, if we're doing the branding, the branding doesn't stop at a logo. You've got to make the variations for your avatars for social media. Uh, how does it animate maybe on a video piece down the road? How does it play on your, all your business cards and everything? How does it play on the, uh, on the business side whenever you're introducing yourself to, uh, say, a Whole Foods or something like that? All of those touch points are very important. And if you start with a budget, say, of $5,000, and you go to somebody that is just doing that label for you, then you're going to realize, yeah, I have this beautiful label, but then all the, your other touch points are weak, and that's not a good thing. That's a great concept. I love it, the touch points. And it's kind of like, okay, well, we all know photography. Great photography is important, but the avatar, you know, in the browser on the website, you know, the brochures, all that type of stuff, there's kind of this like, um, it's like synergistic where by itself, just having like that, you know, that one logo on the correctly for the brochure that you bring to a trade show may not be anything, but combined with the website, the packaging and the kind of that holistic yeah, you know, everything converges and has that, the, the touch points have that feel. All that attention to detail, I think, really can pay off big time. Definitely. And it's probably the biggest difference, right, between a, a big brand and a, a small, and most small startup brands. Yeah, it definitely makes you look like you're serious about what you're doing. Not to mention, you know, if you're spending all this time, we know it takes a lot of time to get a food company off the ground. In the state of New York, it's a lot of money for licenses and permits, and, and a lot of states are, are similar to this, but you spend a lot of money getting a space that you can get a, a license to actually produce your product in, doing all that stuff. You know, it's kind of similar to spending all time in college, uh, have a ton of money in student loans, you studied all of this, and then you show up to your first job interview in flip-flops and shorts. The work doesn't stop at where you have your, your food product in your hand. You really got to sell it and make sure it's really communicating the story. And the most beautiful part is that now you can start building your brand way before you even have your product all packaged up. Thanks to social media and thanks to like Instagram and stuff like that and even Snapchat, you can start sharing that story. Maybe you're mixing. Maybe you're researching recipes. You can start... If you have a name, you can start sharing with your friends, getting the word out there. It takes time. So the earlier you can start, the better. Listeners, this episode can be found at foodstartupspodcast.com slash hungry studio. And we're also going to try to work on developing a little bit more content, some kind of uh, you know, long form written pieces and, and guides to help you out. But I think uh, to summarize this episode, you know, great stuff here. And so you got to think about the brand, you know, tell your story, develop the brand around that, address the touch points. If you're doing those three things, you're on your way because one of the pain points for people on my side that are paying for designers or whatever, you know, PR, whatever it is, is they don't want to overspend or spend a lot of money, thousands of dollars on things that don't really add up. But if you think about having a story and connecting that to the touch points. I think that's a great shortcut, you know, a mental shortcut to understand if it's worth paying for or not. Fed, 
Jordan, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And if listeners want to find you, how can they get in contact with you? So they can go to our website. It's www.hungrystudio.nyc. You can reach out to us there. Or if you want to see what we're up to on a day-to-day basis, you can follow us on Instagram at hungry underscore studio. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, find us online at foodstartupspodcast.com.